Welcome back to episode number 10 of the Slap the Ask show. Today we have one of our good friends, Bill Carlin, on the show. Bill yeah. is, you want me to keep going? I got to give you a little going. intro, Bill. Keep going. Bill Hold is the chief marketing officer at Shipmate Fulfillment, a third-party logistics company in Philadelphia, a graduate of the Warden School of Business, and most importantly, a great friend. Bill, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm real excited to be here. But I wanted to point out, I can't believe you guys ran out of guests this fast that you guys decided to have me on. I'm real excited. <laughs> Bill, don't <laughs> cut yourself short. You're a great guy. Uh, uh, you're just mad you couldn't interview a hot girl or something. <laughs> that, that's down the pike, Bill. That's down the pike. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Bill, it's a pleasure to have you on. I think it's a long time coming. You're selling yourself short, but it's false. I've been wanting to have you on since we started this freaking show. And I'm so glad to finally have you here. Um, I just want to start off the interview by saying, how are you? Like, what's going on? What's, uh, what is work like now in this shortage environment of everything where logistics is now such a huge component of the economy? Well, first off, I'm terrible, but <laughs> business is going good. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there seeking logistics and, you know, logistics is becoming a bigger and bigger part of everything that's going on, especially with all the supply shortages. I mean, the Suez Canal, we're still seeing trickle down effects from that. And, you, you know, it, it's, we've gone from a world where you used to go into the store and now you go online. And once you go online, logistics, you know, has to work overtime. That's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, Bill, actually, I, I almost wish I would have asked and said, like, can you explain what a third party logistics company actually does? Like, what is yeah. that type of Well, let's, let's give a little background. Like, how did you, how did you get into uh, working for the shipping company? How long have you been there? You know? Yeah, so I've, so I've been there about five years. Um, it all started with wholesale, right? Wholesale, 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 taking goods, selling them to big box stores like Walmart, like Sears, like uh, Kmart. But a lot of those big box wholesalers, sorry, those big box retailers and a lot of those smaller retailers have gone out of business since, you know, the mid-2010s. So... Wholesale was not quite a good business, so pivoted to online sales. And after online sales, kind of realized that logistics was where it's at, and that's where the money's at. Nice. All right, so yeah, so what is a third-party logistics company? So a third-party logistics company is a company that handles both the inventory management and the order fulfillment side of sales, shipping, and e-commerce. So in other words, if you're a business and you're kind of under $10 million, you're probably not want to go out and buy a big warehouse and hire a bunch of people. So instead you hire a company that can manage your inventory and can ship your orders as they come in. And that's what we do. Right. Got you. Um, When it comes to your client base, I know you said basically like under 10 mil revs, like the sweet spot for you guys, but do you work with, uh, clients on like a regional basis, as are most of them domestic, most of them international, most East Coast based. Like, what, does geography play into this at all? It's a pretty big blend. So I'd say right now about seventy-five percent of the portfolio is domestic, and about twenty-five percent is international. Uh, it's a pretty large blend. Um, pretty much everything from small mom and pop stores, uh, 
people running things out of their living room all the way up to large corporations that you might have heard of um, and everything in between. So Bill, you're saying you transitioned from wholesale into the 3PL business. Was that exclusively because of the tariffs on China because you're reselling the goods or what was the reasoning behind that transition? Well, that was a big part of it. So a lot of the reason why we transitioned from wholesale to e-commerce and then e-commerce, the 3PL space is control, right? So when you're running a business, you want to be in control. You want to have power. You want to know where your things are. You want to know how they're getting to the customer. You want to control that experience. And the problem is when you start outsourcing things, when you start uh, bringing other players into the table, like government agencies and stuff, you lose control over your own products and over your own things. So you start off in a place where you're importing a product, you have total control over that product. Then you send it to Amazon, right? And then once you send it to Amazon, they have control. And then from there, you know, Trump hits you with some tariffs. And by the time you get going, by the time you're dealing with the government, you're dealing with Amazon, you're dealing with uh, shipping carriers of UPS, FedEx, there's a lot of people who have their hands in what you're doing. So for us, it was a big thing of going from wholesale where we didn't control really anything besides the product. You know, mm-hmm. anybody could sell, anybody could do what they want with your brand. Anybody can repackage it. it, you know, to a place where with e-commerce, we had some control, but Amazon was pushing us around. Amazon was doing what they wanted. UPS was doing what they wanted. FedEx was doing what they wanted. UPS, uh, USPS was doing what they wanted to a 3PL where we have control. We can decide, you know, what's best for our business because we're not designing a product that tariffs or uh, boycotts or dumping duties or the price of freight can affect it. And we don't have to deal with somebody like Amazon fulfilling that order, shipping that order, that we have to rely on them for that. So it gave us a lot of control back, switching up the business model. Okay, Bill, so pivoting off that for a second, you talk about control being uh, a central part of why you adapted this new type of business model. When a company signs with Shipmate, my underlying assumption is they're already selling on Amazon. Um, Amazon has their own fulfillment services, as you obviously know of. Would you say that the competitive advantage, like the selling point of Shipmate, is that the client has more control with Shipmate than they do with Amazon fulfillment. What's the advantage? Why would I work with Shipmate if I'm a three if I'm an online seller? So control is the big one. Control is everything because if you don't have control, what do you have? Right? You have people putting things in the whatever box. You have people not quality controlling your things. You have all kinds of mess ups that can happen with somebody like Amazon, who just hires anybody off the street and things like that. But the real advantage of using a third party is that you can sell to Amazon's competitors, right? You can sell on eBay, you can sell on Walmart, you can sell on Wayfair, you can sell on all these other sites that Amazon doesn't want you on. They don't want you selling goods through their competitors. And that's really where the power comes in is, you know, first control, but second, allowing you to access other markets and marketplaces that you otherwise would not have the ability to reach. Right. So I guess kind of the idea of the 3PL is you're, you're basically shipping products for clients 
who are like Jimmy was saying, like under like around 10 million revenue, because the biggest clients, they have their own warehouses, they ship their own products, right? And the small guys can't really afford to pay someone to store their goods and to ship them for them. So with the client relationship, would you say that's one of the more challenging aspects of your business dealing with the clients? Or would you say that that's significantly still easier than like working with Amazon, et cetera? Um, sorry. Just trying to drink my drink right now. I just told us there's a lot of animals in the house right now. Yeah, yeah. Watching I'm, I'm watching my brother's pets for the weekend. So Bill, Bill actually came over for the podcast, but we didn't, we didn't have that. Off the computer. She's going down. <laughs> yeah. can, we get, can we get a photo? Of, uh, yeah, get a get a gadget shot in here, Bill. Gidget's the most. Uh, fan, I would say it's a fabulous looking cat. Look at this. It's grumpy cat. Look at that. Yeah, mustache looks so exquisite. Gotta give the people what they want. Yeah, you know they don't want to see Jinx though. He's a little ugly. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I was saying like, how, how's the client relations? Is that, is that, yeah, so that's, a, that's a big part of it, right? So like you can pick up the phone and you can call us, uh, try calling Amazon. It's real fun. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I, I mean, that's really a big part of it is managing that client relationship, having somebody you can talk to, you know, you might not always like what you hear, but at least you can get a hold of somebody, right? At least there's somebody least you're actively yeah. in your corner trying to do something for you. You know, and when you call these bigger companies like Amazon, um, you know, sometimes you get a robot, sometimes you get somebody who's not directly in control of your items. And that's why you have more control with a 3PL or a third party warehouse. Got you. Um, so Bill, I know you guys, uh, years. So in, in this current environment, how would, would you uh, change your investing strategy when it comes to buying certain stocks? Are you looking at less PE ratios and, uh, you know, things of that nature, like, you know, traditional fundamental analysis of a company and looking at more perhaps social media hype on a stock? Like, how are you evaluating your buys? Yeah, are that's, you, what, I, that's what I was going to ask. Are you a day trader? Because if you're a day trader, look on Twitter. Twitter is the king, man. If Twitter's hyping something Bro, up, you go for that game. Diamond hands, right? Like, you're doing great. Just diamond hands shorter than everybody else's diamond hands, right? And you make Stop only go up. as long as you get out of the diamond hands before all the other guys stop saying diamond hands, you're gonna make money. And that's why you should day trade if you're gonna go that route. Right. A lot but of quick GameStop is not what I want to be owning in five years, right? All right. Tesla Bill. is not the stock I want to be owning in five years. These are not companies I see having a long-term place in my life or in my portfolio or that I want to own. Listen, I buy mostly index funds. And the reason I buy only index funds is because I want to know what I don't know, right? There's a lot of things I don't know. I can pretend to know them if I want to pretend to know them. Or I can sit here and go, oh, Tesla, it's so great. Technology, technology, and they got the smart guy running it. Great company, right? Or I can sit there and go, well, maybe Tesla's doing something I don't know. So let me buy an index that has Tesla because maybe they pop off and I want to have a piece of that, right? Or maybe they fail. And I only want to have a small piece of that because if they fail, I'm not going nuts. So I like index funds because they tell, they let me know what I don't know, right? No matter what is going on, I either know it or don't know it. And I'm able to buy a stock with zero knowledge. 
And sometimes that knowledge can make you money. Sometimes that knowledge can make you overconfident. Sometimes that knowledge can hurt you. Like for example, right now, I'm a large shareholder of Disney. I own so much Disney stock. It is ridiculous. Right. right? So, so Bill. my darling. And you know what it has done for me? Yeah. It has made me a, shut up, Jinx. It has made me a whole whopping $3 a share. And you know what? It might make me more money in the future. I'm holding it. But you know what the S&P has done? It's done more for me. And I know everything there is to know about Disney. I know what they own. I know what their PE ratio is. I know how their park traffic's improving. This information's irrelevant. You know why? Because there is things about Disney I don't know. I couldn't imagine that people would be trashing them on Twitter because they're pricing out poor, uh, poor uh, you know, minority families. I never saw that coming. And but the S&P 500, the Russell 2000, all these things price that in, right? It's already included because not every single one of them is going to have people bashing them on Twitter or promoting them on Twitter. And that is why I buy indexes. And it's probably not the quickest way to a million dollars. It's probably not because your information allows you to make good decisions. But unless you're going to watch this thing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I think day trading is stupid. And that's just how it goes. Right. So you're, you're basically just not willing to put in the time to make money in the stock market. You want to be more risk averse. You want to diversify in index funds. And that's fine. But oh, I, I think agree. Jimmy but and I just have a different step further. I'm right. going to well, say that if you're somebody who's going to invest in these more risky investments, you need to have notifications set on your phone and you need to be able to drop whatever you are doing at that time and act on whatever new information. Right. But right now it's so easy. It's easier than ever. You can literally trade on your phone and get notifications on you price. Can, but what if you leave it on the charger for five minutes and go to the bathroom? And the thing well, is market you, people, hours. people giggle about that, right? But let's put it this way. I was invested in Ethereum back in 2015. Do you know how much money I lost in three hours? Do you want to take a guess? Well, I was in crypto. It's extremely volatile. I mean, I lost $300 per Ethereum per hour. And I had six of them. I lost 18 hours by putting my phone on the charger and going to take a shit. Diamond hands. I'm actually diamond hand that though. Diamond hand. Oh, I mean, yeah. I would have been great if I diamond hand it, but you didn't know. All right, Bill. Time you're sitting there. I sold at $900. The thing went from like 12 something all the way down to 600 bucks. Well, if you would have held, you would have sell at 900. Like, if you would have held, you would have made a ton of money. If I would have held, I would have made a ton of money, but it went all the way to 600. Imagine yeah. if I took something that I had, you know, like literally like $6,000 invested into and ended up with like a couple thousand bucks. Like if I diamond handed all the way through, great. But we didn't know that was going to happen. It could have went to zero, just as likely as it went to 5,000. Right. And, and crypto confuses the shit out of me. What is it, right? Because I talk to 20 million different people and they give me 20 million different explanations on what crypto is. Oh, crypto is this currency of the future. Crypto is like a stock. They tax it like a stock. Oh, crypto, it's, it's this like asset, like gold. Like there's only so much of it. So what is it? If it's all three, it can't be all three. 
because everybody's trading it for different reasons. Everybody has a different view of what it is, how it's used, what its future looks like. Nobody's in agreement and on alignment with this thing. And that's going to be its ultimate demise. If it was a currency, it would succeed as a currency. If it was a stock, it would succeed as a stock. If it was gold, it would succeed as internet gold. But we have three different kinds of people buying this thing for three different reasons, and nobody can agree what it is. And every single one of them has a convincing argument. I don't know what it is because I think it's all three. And I don't want to own it. For that reason, I own $50 worth of crypto just to follow it because I'm really interested by it. I want to know where it goes. Okay. But I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want a piece of that. I don't want to be attached to that. That's going to blow up. Got you. And um, I think I have a couple of comments to make. Um, I think, first of all, when it comes to day trading, you know, one of the guests we had on uh, a few episodes earlier, Jester Trades, he is a great day trader. This dude's a fucking savant. He just knows what he's doing. But he uses purely technical analysis. And I think fundamental analysis on a day trading level is almost useless, is what I've learned from him. It's purely he, he doesn't even look charts, at it. reading MACD, like reading the indicators, as well as like understanding the volume levels. That's how I think you successfully day trade. Second, oh, you look for the candlesticks and you follow the candlesticks to the promise. Land. It's more than that, but yes, essentially. Um, and I think on top of that, though, I think if you're buying a hater on day trading, I'm such a hater on everything because we've been in a bull market since like 2008, perpetual bull market. And everybody thinks they're a genius. Well, there was a crash during at some point, this shit's going to come crashing down. And I'm not a hater. I'm not somebody who's not in the market. I'm not somebody who's not investing, but I'm somebody sitting here going, it can happen. It happened to people in the 90s. It happened to people in 2008. Wow. It happened in the 30s. It happened in the 70s. You can pick four or five year spurts in US history where people lost money on everything. Right, but Bill, the idea of We're day in a gilded age. That, We're in a gilded age. Bill, the idea the, of day trading is that you're in and out. You're in exactly. and out. So if the market crashes in the day that you're making one or two so trades, you're not going to lose My opinion on day trading is if you can have your phone on you, the entire time the market is open, including when you're taking a shit, okay, you enough. can do it. Right, you, you gotta sit at your computer. You gotta sit at your computer. You could not keep the phone on you 24 seven to get the notification when your uh, when your CEO takes a penis picture or your CEO does something to the trans youth or whatever I'll, I'll do happens. It. Whatever well. happens, literally anything can happen in these days. <laughs> That crashes your stock value. Or, or Elon Musk smokes weed on the Elon Musk podcast. smokes weed. Like the stock could go either way on that news. I don't know. And the thing is, this is the world we live in. Instantaneous news, instantaneous feedback. And literally you putting your phone on the charger and going to take a shit can be the difference of $10,000. And I don't want any part of that because I do not want to have to keep my phone on me while I'm taking a shit. Well, you also have a job. Yeah, okay. I have a job I too. I can't I agree. do this 24 if you're, if you're day trading, I'm, I'm just saying like the, the risk to me, I'd be afraid to shit if I had $15,000 on the line in the next hour. All right. So Bill, what else do you invest in? You invest in no, index no, no, funds? No, 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 no. I, right. I, I want to ask Bill. Okay. So we talk about this perpetual bull market, Bill. Um, and it's going to come crashing down eventually. I mean, I think everyone kind of understands that and thinks that. But the role of the Federal Reserve in uh, the stock market and just the American economy in general has seemed to really evolve 
over the past hundred years since the charter of the Federal Reserve Bank. You know, in an age where quantitative easing seems to be perpetual, what do we experience? Do we experience like deflation and stagflation eventually? Like what, like why would asset prices not go up? Why would they stop going up? Why would they stop going up? Let me bring you back to a great time period, right? It's the 1970s, Richard Nixon is president and your grandparents are having a good old time, right? One day they tell you that they're getting rid of gold and silver currency and we're going to this new standard and nobody saw it coming. There was no like, hey, we're going to do this in 10 years. It was just, we just decided to get rid of gold and silver. And we made this decision in under a year. This shit can happen. Changes happen like this. We have a new government, right? Like Trump's out, Biden's in. Next year, you know, Biden could retire because of dementia. We could have Kamala Harris or, you know, we could have some random Republican win in 2024. Like anybody can run this country at any given period of time. They can do whatever they want push whatever agenda they want based on whoever's in power. And it, just because it hasn't happened in 50 years doesn't mean it's gonna ha- not going to happen. So, Bill, right, but Bill, I was going to ask you, though, my is, idea why, is that, why is your investment strategy, though, built around, or like, why, what's what I'm looking for? Why are you fighting the Fed? You know, that's like a saying I feel like a lot of the investment bankers are starting to say now is like, don't fight the Fed. Like, why not be heavily invested in stocks and in asset you know, just assets in general, Grant, you are very into assets. I'm very asset intense. I mean, here's the thing. My viewpoint is you might as well invest because if everything goes down the toilet, we're all in the toilet together. If I'm fighting my neighbor over all know, together food, if I'm fighting my neighbor over food, it doesn't matter what my stocks are doing. Right. So I might as well be pro stocks. Right. So I'm very pro stocks. I invest in stocks. I, I think you're stupid if you don't have your money in stocks and stuff. Well, I mean, what I'm trying to say is just because right the sun is up today doesn't mean it's going to rain tomorrow. And I can't tell you how it's going to rain, right? I can't tell you when it's going to rain. But what I can tell you is that there are powers that be, right? There are people we elect to higher office and they have entirely different ideas on how the world runs, right? Remember a couple weeks, a couple months ago, the idea was floated. Why don't we tax capital gains over a certain amount? What would that do to stocks? I don't know. You don't know. Luke don't know. None of us know. And I'm not saying you shouldn't invest because of that. I'm invested regardless. But what I'm saying is we don't know how that's going to react. And what I'm saying is I wouldn't want to be the guy day trading the day we decide that we're going to tax capital gains. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be day trading on that day. No. Well, yeah, I mean, the point is to take risks, though, right? I mean, you're basically fear-mongering into not taking risks and taking trades that are short-lived. But, like, if you make these short-term trades and you make a lot of money, the idea is not to win on every trade. The idea is to have a winning record in the long run. And if That, you, that you, also if, sounds like the gambler's fallacy to me, too. And the thing is, I'm well, not Bill, there's other everybody five, no, what are you talking about? There's, there's, what Bill, I'm saying I, is... There are some people who know everything about the Yankees, right? And because they know everything about the Yankees, they can bet at uh, 56% right and 44% wrong. Good, they're making money. 
and they can write gambling on their taxes as their, their employment status, and they can write off all their gambling expenses. But at the end of the day, it's a very small part of America, just like the very small part of America who can tell you everything about the stock market and tell you everything about how so-and-so is going to move and how so-and-so is going to perform. So, do you, so, Bill, do you think it's a bad thing that 10 million new traders started trading in 2020? Terrible. And I don't, you giggle. And here's the thing: I don't think it's a bad thing that 10 million new traders. Isn't it good for people to be involved in the so stock market like never before? So there is a girl years that ago, I'm they talking to right now who did nothing but buy AMC stock. She made a fuck ton of money, and now it's she an thinks she's an example. It's an extreme example. It's an extreme example, but what I'm trying to tell you is, why I don't making money bad though? Why is making money bad? I don't think we have a Not new bad. 10 million traders in, you know, 401ks, a 529B plans. Uh, I think we got a new imaginary children, plan. traders on, on Robinhood who just IPO, despite the fact that you can't buy what you want when you want, and they shut you out and they charge fees and they don't give you the lowest payment process. That's true. And they're IPOing and people are joining it left and right. And this doesn't make sense. But Bill, I just think we're living Bill, in this fantasy world. At this Bill, look at your cousin, though. Your cousin made thousands and thousands of dollars off of AMC, right? Is that – what? Yeah. You just said someone made a lot of money off of AMC. No, I, I, I said a girl I'm talking to made money off of AMC. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. But anyways. <laughs> nice. <laughs> The point I'm trying to make is why, is why is that such a bad thing? Because the worst thing you can do is win. Oh, Let me explain. You are fucking horrible. I, oh, I, I am terrible. Because I listen, I've lived it. I've lived it, man. I had a Robin Hood account seven years ago. I was up $3,000. And then what did I do? I lost triple X leverage bull. I lost it all. Three X leverage bull. Bill, here's my question. You're young, right? Right. You have no kids. You're not married. Yep. You're fine. You were fine. You did fine. Right. But if you take my if you take the money I've invested and you multiply it by an eight percent growth rate, I have three million dollars. I would rather have three million dollars in retirement than maybe YOLO my way to retirement at 35. It's not YOLOing, though. That's a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. No one knows that. Bill, the point Jimmy and I are trying to make is it's not gambling if you do it the right way. The problem is 80% of traders in the market are uneducated. Yeah. They're uneducated. They're Jimmy, throwing money the Super Bowl go for you this year? Weren't you sure the Chiefs were going to win? They had such a great offense. You scouted that. He can't miss. He's the greatest CEO of all time. Patrick Mahomes can't miss. And you bet on him. And what would you do, Jimmy? How much money we lose? How much money we lose? Well, I bet the Bucs, if you remember. But, yes, you're right. From a logical standpoint, a lot of people bet the Chiefs. And they didn't pull it out. And they didn't win. But they I, had a fail-proof CEO. Bill, let Jimmy talk. The greatest Jimmy offense talk. of all time. Let no, Jimmy talk. But I think what I think what Luke is trying to say, I think what we're trying to say, is that market exposure is the first step to understanding and getting literate in the financial world, involving yourself in the stock market. And I think that is a great benefit for society. Is actually taking awareness of their money, not buying fucking Gucci bags and things like that not flexing in that regard, but they're actually trying to create wealth through the market. 
And I think that <laughs> if you devote enough time to research, I think you can beat the 8% return a year. I think you can. Oh, I don't think you buy a Gucci bag today, you can sell it more on for more on January 1st than you can that AMC stock you bought yesterday. Bill, I have a question. Would you oh, invest? Bill, would you AMC invest? Stock two in months ago, not so much. Bill, would you invest in ETFs? No. Well, yeah, yeah. ETFs, yeah. So you could invest in ETF that averages 15 to 20%. Why would you do that? Because I believe in the benchmarks. I believe in knowing what I can't know. I believe in owning 500 to 2,000 stocks. I do not want to be sector specific or relying on a certain sector over other things. So what sectors are you bullish on? What sectors do you like? None. So you like Disney? You like Disney? That's entertainment, right? Listen, I have a very small percentage of my net worth in Disney in the grand scheme of things. I believe that it's very important to have five to 10% of your money that you play with, you explore with, you learn, you experience things with. But in the grand scheme, I'm not risking my life savings on Disney. Doesn't matter how much I like the Avengers, right? Doesn't matter how much I think Disney parks, I want to take my family there someday. Doesn't matter how bullish I am on this company. I will not put my life savings in Disney. And I'm the most bullish Disney person you'll ever find because anytime you raise prices, you're going to make money. There's a lot of bulls on Disney. Okay. I think you're in a good stock, but. Well, yeah, Disney's, I mean, it's fucking been around for decades. It's a great stock. But here is, I think, the crux of the question then. What percentage of your overall net worth portfolio is in the stock market? I'll start first. I'm a fucking 100% in the stock market. I don't own any real estate right now. I have but a why? car. Why? Why are you that way? Because I think it's the fastest way to get gains. In my, I think my stocks will appreciate faster than real estate will and what uh, you know, other things I could buy right now. I, I think I will eventually diversify into real estate eventually diversify into like precious metals and things like that. But at Bill, the you'd... moment, my current net worth, I think is best off being in stocks where I think I can make the most. Also, I like the liquidity of the stock market. It's very liquid. Very oh, liquid. Let's be honest. I think Jimmy, Jimmy's are... 100% in stocks right now, Bill. Jimmy has the most money out of us by far. Right. It's worked. Because we're in a green stock market, right? We're in a bull market. And the thing is, Jimmy has more bulls than I do. And I will give that to him. He was one. And the thing is, he might continue to win or he might lose. But he's a big boy. He's going he's gonna to take And you're saying you'll win regardless. I have lost, by the way. I have and lost. I'm going to win regardless. So the thing is, I don't really give a shit. I'll have people finish first. I'll finish the race. And there will be people who won't finish the race. Well, that's a good way to think about it. There's not competitive. There's no one's competing against each other. It's all about what you no, I'm just saying we all have very different investment strategies. I mean, right. Bill, I mean you, the Bill. thing is, like, I'm probably 20% stocks. Out of everybody here, I probably have the least amount of stocks. Okay, so break down your portfolio then. What is real estate? What stocks? What's other? Like, what's going on? So I probably have about 20% in stocks. Probably 30% in collectibles, 30% in real estate, and 10% in uh gold, precious metals, and other commodities. How much cash? Negative 10,000. You'd be Percent? <laughs> no, I'm no, just kidding. No, I, I, I refuse to pay my credit cards down as inflation is happening. Well, I agree, Bill. I have, I have more credit card debt than actual cash on hand. There's no point in paying it down. I mean, I have the money. I could pay it off if I wanted to. 0% rate, why pay it off? I don't want I'm the opposite, but... Like, why I'm the opposite, up? but it's mostly just because it just bothers me. All right, so, so Luke, what is your portfolio breakdown, would you say? 
if you like just rock this if you think about it the funny thing is people think i'm really really heavy in stocks and my overall portfolio but it's really not that heavy i'd say i think stocks are probably honestly well are you including like roth i mean and roths and stocks oh well then it's probably like 40 percent, and then probably 40 percent real estate and then 20% 20% cash. I'm actually pretty heavy in cash, which you guys would hate. But. Which I would absolutely hate. I would spend that tomorrow on anything I could possibly spend it on. I'd even go buy a new car in this environment because inflation. Cars are going up. You, cars are going up. Buy a car, car. Well, buy a car over Bill. cash. It's the most absurd thing I've ever said. Bill, though, Bill, though, here's why I like cash whenever you're trading stocks. It's terrible. No, no, no. Here's why I like it, though. Because if you're swing trading or, you know, I don't really day trade, but I like intraday trade like a couple of days or three days, you're always ready. And, the, and then when the opportunity arises, you have the cash on hand to invest. You, well, you do, you have some, well, no, you don't. But like, huh. if you have the cash, when an opportunity arises, you can jump on it. So I like knowing that in the back of my head that if I find a real estate deal, I can invest in that deal if I want to. I actually have I a like knowing goal that. of having under $200 cash in my bank account at any given moment. It's a personal goal of mine and I really enjoy it. No, I think it's good. I think you should invest, but like your security fund is essentially your credit card, right? Yeah. yeah. And right now inflation's much higher than my credit card rate. I love it. Right. There's nothing yeah, and greater I- than having a 0% credit card promotion. Meanwhile, inflation's at like 5%. It, it makes me feel great about myself. I'm sitting there going, man, I'm saving money as I'm spending. And it's crazy. Like that shouldn't be a thing that we allow to happen in our society, but it's happening. So we got to take advantage of it because it's happening. Yeah, it's, I, you're better off spending cash and spending, running up a credit limit because tomorrow's dollars is worth significantly less than today's dollars. Well, it's funny. I mean, it's kind of like I recently bought a house. I bought a house for $160,000. It's currently like my neighbor just sold his house for $360,000. And I'm sitting there going, holy shit, how does this happen? This doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. And that's just the way the market is right now. So in your words, don't fight the Fed, right? Play to what's going on. But like I said, at the same time, I don't like the fact that the stock market, I have to babysit because I'm telling you there will be a day I was on a plane to Las Vegas and I watched my, uh, I watched my IRA take a hit of, I kid you not, 30% between the start of the flight and the end of the flight. Bro, Bill, you want to talk about something? I was on a flight to Mexico City end of February 2020. When I was in Mexico City, the stock market took a fucking shit, Okay. I, I, that's when I was still playing options. I lost so well, You were in Mexico City money. the same time I was in Vegas, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And like I said to you, I was on the plane sitting there going, oh my God, as soon as I land, I want to sell. And I couldn't wait for the flight to end because the guy in front of me kept on sitting there going, oh no, we're down 4%. Oh no, we're down 7%. Oh, they stopped the market for 15 minutes. Oh, we're down 9%. And at that moment was the moment I stopped doing any kind of day trading. I used to like trade on announcements or or earnings reports or things like that. But when I had that realization of sitting on a plane, one of three or four times a year I fly and going, I'm powerless. I'm watching the market tank. 
over two hours while I'm on a plane to Las Vegas, it changed my entire perspective on stock trading. That's why I bring up the whole, your phone on a charger taking a shit. I don't know what day the stock market's going to take a turn, but it could just be the day you plug your phone in and go to the bathroom. Like literally that's all it takes to lose tens of thousands of dollars. Bill, then how about you just exit your position before you travel? You don't lose until you sell, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Bill. I think, I think the viewers will find this interesting. You were saying 30% of your portfolio is in collectibles. What's your rationale behind that? And what are you investing? It's an entirely uh, speculative market, right? So oh, spe- you're investing in speculative yeah, things speculative. now. And the difference yeah, is it has to- It's also a passion though, right, for you? Well, it's partially passion, but it's not, it's not the passion that drives it. What it is, is there's a phenomenon. The there's a phenomenon going on for over a hundred years of which people buy things that they had as children, right? If you look at the 1890s, the early 1900s, you see cast iron banks are worth a lot of money. If you look at the 1930s, 1940s, cast iron soldiers, cast iron toys are worth a lot of money. You get to the 50s and 60s, Barbies, GI Joes, the 70s, 80s, He-Man, Star Wars, all these toys and all these things are worth money. So you sit there and you go, what should I invest my money in? Well, for a hundred years, people have been buying what they were passionate about as children. So I invest a lot of my money in both comic books and video games. And I've had returns of over 10,000% on some of the video games. Just by simply being like, I'm going to buy something I wish I had when I was seven years old. I mean, clearly it's been fucking beneficial then. You're and making me more money than anything else and I don't even try. I mean, I'm lucky if I have a couple thousand dollars in this. So what is it? Comic books? I know you're investing in comic books. Video comic games. books and, and, and Nintendo games. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, mo- mostly Pokemon games. I mean, if you've looked at the price of, you know, Pokemon games lately, you see twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 for the sealed games. So I got all my first edition... Pokemon cards right here. Right there, yeah. Right there's all the money. I got to get them graded, but PSA won't let me grade it. No, they, 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 they won't. But that's the thing is like, you know, you have these alternative investments, right? Like I said, another thing I'm heavy in is gold and silver. Um, you know, I won't buy gold and silver at the spot price, but if I'm somewhere and I have a, I have a pocket scale I keep on me, and I'll weigh up some gold or some silver at an estate sale or a yard sale or antique place. And if the gold is, you know, 20, 30% on discount, I'll buy it on the spot. Why? So Bill, I, have a good I like having gold and silver on hand because if there's a zombie apocalypse, I can sell it. And I'm, so I mean Bill, that half jokingly because I don't think there's going to be a zombie apocalypse, but there could become a day where, you know, gold or silver is worth more than the US dollar. Bill, why is gold not going up with all the inflationary concerns? Because you don't, think crypto? It's cool. you don't think it's cool. You're, right. you're, you and your Twitter bros are sitting there diamond handsing Bitcoin. That's why I don't, right. Bitcoin. I don't own you Bitcoin. You guys were not diamond hands, Bitcoin to the moon, Dogecoin to the moon. Gold and silver will be going up because your grandparents had gold and silver. Your parents had gold well, and silver. I will say. Your ancestors 30,000 years gold. ago had gold and silver. Gold and silver is a precious metal that there is a limited it's amount money. of. And it's if money. every single American had a couple ounces of it, 
it would be worth a fuck ton of money. Well, who gives yeah. gold value? People give gold value. If there's exactly. no supply, it's going to go down. It's going down. It's not as stable as it used to be. There's no, there's no use for it anymore other than what it's worth to other people. Oh, Did you forget about semiconductors and how we're making more? Yeah, it's all, it's all electronics. Gold yeah. industrial That's use different. is actually I going meant more up. as like a the asset difference position. is that it's no longer in currency. The thing is, the industrial use of gold is going up. Now, I'm not a gold bull to the point where I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm putting all my money in gold. You're not a gold. I bull? think if you don't have an ounce of gold, you're a moron. Because gold at the end of the day is the only thing I can knock on the door of somebody living in Uruguay or Paraguay. Congo. I own zero some gold. Random company. I own zero gold. You know what I own? Ethereum. Right. Because I'm young, I have nothing to lose. And the upside potential, I'm willing to risk for the downside potential. And the amount of money gold. I've lost on Ethereum in my life is nuts. Well, I, I hold your Ethereum, Bill. You'd be, you'd be rich. Maybe. When it comes to gold, though, well, going to zero. central banks are fucking buying gold. China, Russia, Turkey, yep. all these countries with currencies that are like on the fringe. And then the supply is going to go down. It's going to go up. They know what they're doing. But I, I'm saying it's like it's kind of Bill's point is like gold has been considered money everywhere for right. all time. It's not well, changing. The U.S. government. So your money is safe in gold. Do you know, I'm not do you know that not. the U.S. government has banned 27 currencies? What if the U.S. government bans Ethereum tomorrow? Like, I, I'm not even putting that out there. I'm, as a I'm willing to take that risk. I'm yes, willing to take what that I'm risk. trying to say is the U.S. government can ban gold all they want, but other people will take gold. Ethereum, I'm not as convinced. I'm not as convinced that Jimmy will take Ethereum if the U.S. government says he can't. Not convinced. We'll take USDV then. What? <laughs> it's a stable coin that Jimmy's invested in. Jimmy and I are invested in. Right. So let's let's pivot off of that then, Bill. What are your what are your thoughts on stable coins? You think they're better I think it's than bullshit. crypto? I don't I don't know why you just wouldn't oh. buy gold if you're buying a gold back coin. I think it's better than crypto. At Transfer least we know rate, what it Bill. is. Transfer. At least rate. we know what it you is. Ship gold to people for orders. Yeah. No. Why what, not? What's what's the shipping you're cost? Bro, you're in logistics. All right. If if Bill, okay. For example, what if one of your clients lives in China? And you're shipping a bunch of products for them, and they pay you in gold. They have to ship it across the ocean. Is yeah, that I mean, practical? I mean, here's the thing. At the end of the day, extreme example, cost, but it's going to cost a couple dollars to receive that gold, and I think it would be worth it. But I'm not talking about going back to the gold standard here. What I'm talking about oh. is the fact that there is value in holding gold because gold is a universal currency. Uh, have you ever heard of Robert Kiyosaki? Yes, but the future is changing, Bill. No, the future is not changing. You think you're the future because you're a young, you're a young whippersnapper, and you know better than the old people. Right uh, now, Bill, the best Bill, thing we can do is sit there. A hundred years ago, do you think people thought we'd be using paper money? What? You think a hundred years ago? Do you think people thought we'd be using paper money? I think, think so because the U.S. Be government with was it during the Revolutionary War, so I think I think we considered it. Really not paper, Bill. Okay, look at plastic. You think people will be paying with plastic? Apple Pay, oh. bro. And I haven't They've been doing it since 1960. And before that, credit It's going to change is what I'm saying. Credit Paper and coins is not practical. It's honest. not practical. It's going to be digital. It will be digital. That's a fact. Right. It can be fact. digital US dollar or whatever. But what I'm trying to say is that none of this stuff has any value. 
the U.S. dollar doesn't have value, just like Bitcoin. And people want to use You're that. Worth dollars. You're worth dollars. People want to give that, use that as the excuse, right? The U.S. dollar is fake, so why don't I just invest in this fake currency? It's an excuse. Buy a Mustang. You know why? Because at the end of the day, right, Luke might want my Mustang. Doesn't matter what the value of the U.S. dollar is. Luke will be willing to give me the same amount of value for the Mustang tomorrow or possibly more than what he's willing to give me today because he wants that Mustang, right? It doesn't matter what you insert as the hold of value. The U.S. dollar is a terrible store of value. Crypto is like the wild, wild west, right? Like that existed for a couple hundred years. That was fun, but we don't see cowboys in Texas anymore. Like, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with crypto. I mean, I could be totally wrong. But the problem is, at the end of the day, having things of value that you know people are going to pay something for in the future is the best way to store value. I would bet money a thousand years from now, somebody will pay something for my gold, even if it's for industrial purposes. It will have some value. At the end of the day, a thousand years from now, we could mention the word Bitcoin and they might not know what that means. That's and true. That is, that's, the buyer house. That, that, and that's, that's, my, that's my point here. Is that- well, no, I agree. I think, I think the stock market is, is, for me at least, it's a tool. It's a tool right. to gain wealth relatively quickly and, you, and put it into hard assets. Well, the I'm stock not, market, in my opinion, is well, a combination, right? The yeah, com- true. You hold some long. Interestingly, what I would consider to be a combination of the idea of cryptocurrency with the idea of money. And people at first go, what? It's not a store of value, right? You put money into something and it holds value or increases. So I buy an Apple stock, right? That Apple stock has a value, just like the US dollar has a value. Right, we can convert the hours I work in the Apple stock or US dollar. It doesn't matter. They both hold value. The US dollar doesn't have anything backing it. The Apple stock is at least loosely backed by this right here, the iPhone. At least loosely backed by that, right? The property, the ideas, the everything behind the iPhone, the laptop, all that stuff. So the thing is, you're buying something when you buy a stock that in my opinion is both speculative and physical. There is a company, there is a product behind that. Pay dividend too. There's still the speculative upside. And that is why- They pay dividend also. What? They pay a dividend to you also, the cash- And they also pay a dividend sometimes, depending on who they are. And that is why I'm very invested in stocks. I think stocks are a good thing. But at the end of the day, I think- you know, they're a lot like the U.S. dollar combined with cryptocurrency. They're so, Bill, for a value. Bill, get that. Understand. Would you admit that that is the exact opposite thesis for your collectibles uh, investment? In a thousand years, is someone going to know what the fuck Pokemon is? No. So you're riding the wave, essentially. Well, so something, well, no, yeah, you know, here's, here's the thing. How do you know when to get Jimmy, out of the wave Jimmy, and not Jimmy get crashed? Jimmy is talking about the thousand-year wave. I'm talking about the hundred-year wave, right? I'm talking about the hundred-year wave. The thousand-year wave when it comes to selling gold. What? 
You said a thousand years from now, someone's going to sell you buy your gold. Right. No, I, I mean, if I pass down, you, they're going to buy your gold. If, if I took an ounce of gold and I gave it to my great, 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 great grandson, he could sell that. I don't know if he could sell a Charizard. Long live the Carlins. Long live the Carlins. Right. I don't know if he could sell a Charizard, you know, regardless of what the grade is. But at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is with collectibles, there's a pattern. And when I say there's a pattern, I mean there's a pattern established for over a hundred years of people feeling nostalgic about the things they owned as a child. You can recognize it goes back to my entire thesis. Bill, though, I think do you do you see the hypocrisy that is arising from this argument? There is no hypocrisy. Oh, bullshit. No. There's nothing backing Charizard. There's a lot for your belief. There is a lot backing Charizard. Charizard has more backing him than Bitcoin has ever had backing him. Uh, no. Yeah, maybe. Do you want to know why? That's true. Do you want to know why? Because I see a guy. I walk down the street, right? Walk down the street sometime. Wow. I walk down the street every day. How many times do you see a Pokemon shirt? How many times do you see a Dragon Ball Z shirt? How many times do you see something Nintendo rated? Related? I see Bitcoin shirts too. Yeah, you do. But that's a fad. I do. Ads I do. happen. Stinkies, Rubik's I would argue, Bill, I would argue Pokemon is indeed a fad. No, it's not a fad. Fads don't last 35 years. That's not 1997, happening. Bill. Wasn't it 1997? 93, but still. Okay. You know, your Pokemon. They, 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 they don't last like 30 years. You know what I mean? And, and here's the thing is I used to think, yeah, it's a fad. But here's the thing. Is Barbie a fad? No, Barbie's been around since 1958. This shit is not fads. And people value it, right? So you're talking the 100 years. Argument, my argument is not that Charizard's going to go to $6 million. My argument is that Charizard has value because I like Charizard Jimmy likes Charizard. Luke likes Charizard. Okay, we yeah. all like it different amounts. Depending Jimmy. on who likes it most, sure. that is where the value is. Bill, is Tesla a fad? Is Tesla Microsoft is the a exact fad? exact same way. Because here's the thing about Tesla. Tesla could theoretically be worth a billion dollars a stock if we could convince every billionaire in the world well, that's that any Tesla stock. is cool. Right, that's if every billionaire in the world decides the cool thing to do right now is buy Tesla stock instead of an NBA team or an NFL team, we could sell a lot of Tesla stock and it would go to the moon, right? This is what's going on is we have all agreed Tesla is cool. I even think Elon Musk is cool. He's a cool dude, man. He has rockets and he's on SNL. He's a cool dude. I love him. He's a great, great guy. Maybe he went to Penn too. But you're just shitting on his stock constantly. But what I'm trying, I shit on his stock constantly because you guys decided he's so cool, he almost got the nine hundred dollars. He's not that cool. I'm hey, sorry. Yeah, about at four hundred, I sold at eight. And this is what's happening: is you have the world so agreeing that he's worth nine hundred dollars. That's how cool Tesla is. The problem is you have to convince people that it goes somewhere from there, right? You have to convince people that it's a thousand dollars cool, eleven hundred dollars cool, because the value of Tesla is not because they make a great car. It's not because the technology, bro. It's because we think they're cool. They're a cool company. They have great branding. They have a Bill, great and you think Pokemon's cool. What's the difference? What's the difference? Like I said to you, the difference is Pokemon has been around 30 years. 
Pokemon. I'm Microsoft's been around 30 years. What? Microsoft's been around 30 years. Exactly. Am I calling Bill Gates a fat? No. I'm not sitting here telling you that Bill Gates is a fat. You Bill literally Gates just said that technology companies are overvalued and will not exist in a few years. That's what, what? I'm saying. My point is that... My point is not that we're going to have a nuclear bomb go off and all technology companies aren't going to exist. The problem is they all can't exist, right? So why not try ones that win and there's going to be ones that lose? Bill, if you bought, Bill, if you bought Tesla today, yeah, do you think you would make money in one year? No, I think I'd lose money. We'll screenshot this and see what happens. Well, screenshot. I'm telling you, I think GM in two to three years is going to pass Tesla in value. What's what's GE at right now? What is their stock? I think it's, it's 64 last time I looked at my portfolio. Wait, you're saying like GM, GM, not GE. General, yeah. not General Motors. I meant GM, sorry. Who has a land, sea, and sky, um, you know, land, sea, and sky initiative versus let's make a bunch of cool cars, man. And then we can have the technology. Let's make a flamethrower because that's cool too. All like, right. No. So, Bill, you're 25. Yeah. How are you getting rich? How am I getting rich? Long, hard work and time. Time is my best friend, and I will be rich regardless of what happens. Why be rich when you're 60, though, when you can take chances while you're young to try to be rich when you're 35? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why, why, what's your rationale? Because I can go down to the liquor store, I can get really drunk, and I can have a great time. Dude, I can have a fucking fantastic time. I can go to the store, I can buy uh, some lotto tickets. I can do whatever I want. Why Bill, don't I, I you go, go have a good time? YOLO, it doesn't matter, because here's the fact. You're a simple man. That doesn't take much to make right. you happy. Well, let's see what his answer is. What's the no, what? But here's the thing. Is right. You can say YOLO all you want. You can say, why don't I enjoy that money when I'm 20, right? Yeah. Like, let's do everything I can to get rich. The problem is, statistically, you are going to live to 78 and a half years old, and you're going to need money. And the thing is, you can YOLO it all away right now, and you can decide at 40, you're going to start saving, you can have some money, and you'll have a decent retirement. It'll be great. Or you can start at 20. 22, 23, you can start saving. You can have a lot of money saved up. You can guarantee your retirement, right? At a very young age and take chances later in life, right? You can know that you're going to retire with $3 million by the time you're 35 years old. And then you can go pursue a passion project or do whatever you want. You need to secure the future before you start thinking of big picture or blowing things up. Because at the end of the day, you're not special, right? You're not this guy whose dad's a billionaire and he's going to loan you a few million dollars to get into the family fortune, Trump, right? You're not going to start the Trump empire at 35 and date a bunch of Russian supermodels. That isn't oh you. What you're going to do is you're going to work hard. You're going to get some money. You're going to invest it. It's going to be boring. And then you'll get to a point at 35 where you sit there and you go, I have enough money when I hit 65, assuming things are okay, that I can take some chances now. And then you can take some reasonable risks. But if we reverse that order and I take those chances at 25, I have a lot of catching up to do at 40 when it doesn't work out. So I would rather reverse the process from what you guys think 
live cons conservatively until 35, 40, and then take my chances, then swing for the fences. Because if I miss, I still get a two or $3 million retirement. And that's yeah, Bill, though, Bill, we're not saying risk at all. I'm still saying like, buy your house, invest in real estate, you can have a Roth IRA, you can mitigate your risk, but why not take 20% of your portfolio and aggressively try to multiply that 100x over? Why not take that chance? You're literally giving up an opportunity that is sitting right in front of you to potentially achieve a lot of wealth while you're young. Why not take the chance? Because at the end of the day, most people can't afford to fail. And I'm talking right now. You can afford to, guy, to fail 20%. No, 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 no. Listen, I'm talking to the guy right now who's making $35 an app. Sorry, $35,000 a year, probably working at the Coca-Cola bottling plant. I'm talking to him right now. And I'm saying, dude, you can have a great retirement. You can do some good things. It's a very Dave Ramsey view, Bill. What? It's a very, very Dave Ramsey-esque perspective. It is because that works for 80% of people. Well, you're right, but Bill, I feel like you're Bill. You're in the top one yeah. percent of intellect. Exactly, in and I'm telling you to be conservative. You should be scared. I'm not scared what, because twenty percent of my is, well, you, Bill, you twenty percent of my portfolio. Listen, really harsh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there. You're watching a show right now with three Wharton graduates on it, fighting about whether you should YOLO your money. We all I'm saying about. And it's the average not, person does, Lou. Bill, though, we all have not, extra money. Most Bill, it, people don't have extra money, Lou. Bill, it's not YOLO. Okay, you're talking to the masses. It's great advice. I'm talking whatever. to the masses. The masses need to do the basics before they run. You need to walk before you run. You can YOLO a percentage of it. You want to YOLO or, 5 10%? YOLO it. I don't give a shit. But the thing but is, at the end of the day, if you, you have a certain level of education on the stock market and what Jimmy are trying to promote, with this channel and with Twitter is to inform people that you have to realize that you don't know everything about the market. So once you learn, you mitigate risk and then your opportunity for success increases. It's about making more than you're losing. But, but, if, but I, th I think the real point of having somebody like me on is to be the foil to this. Right? No, I think it's great. And, to have and the thing is, I'm trying to play that role here. I think it's great. I'm being a little bit of a poo poo here, right? No, I appreciate the perspective. And but I'm, just I'm just trying to give the perspective here that like, if you're watching this video and you're making $35,000 a year, you're making $40,000 a year, you may not want to be the guy speculating in the market. You might not want to do that. You make $120,000 a year and you're watching this video. Yeah, YOLO, man. Like we can hit a touchdown. We can retire early. It's great. We got tons of time to catch up. But most people are not at the same place in life that we are. And because of that, we can't give the same advice to the mass market as we would give to somebody we know working on Wall Street. First of all, we're not giving no, advice. No, no, no. Go ahead, Jim. All right, sorry to interject. But what we are advocating for here is we're not telling people to fucking YOLO. What we're trying to do is we're trying to show that the stock market is a means to gain wealth. Educated decisions can make wealth. Look at someone like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, um, you know, a lot of the billionaires in the market. Besides Warren Buffett, they got rich through lack of diversification. They got rich by fucking being into what they were into. If that makes sense. 
Bezos became worth $190 billion because he owned so much Amazon stock. He wasn't like, oh, I'm going to have to spread it out between the sector that's into energy, the sector that's into technology, the sector that's into industrials, whatever. He went all in on Amazon. I'm not saying that everyone should be doing all in on particular stocks. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the stock market is an avenue for people to gain wealth. If you have enough conviction in your place and you have a time horizon, remember Amazon went from a hundred dollars to like $4 over the course of a year and a half. Remember that happened. Internet bubble burst. It happened. If you have a time horizon, that's long enough. And if you have enough conviction in what you are investing in, you can make some serious fucking cash doing this shit. And I think that that that's what needs to be spread. Not necessarily buying call options on underperforming companies like AMC or GD. YOLO calls on Tesla or something. Yeah, that's a different ballgame. But the stock market is a place to gain wealth. I think all Bill is saying is if you're a guy making $35,000, you have $2,000 in your saving account and you're throwing it all on a random, you know, fucking penny stock, and hoping it's going to go to the moon because of your Twitter, like people you're following on Twitter, that's not a good idea. And I agree. I agree with Bill. But I think if you learn and you get educated and you learn how to mitigate risk, it's okay to put a percentage of your portfolio into the stock market, even penny stocks, and try to aggressively make money. What's the worst thing that could happen? You lose like said, it. Five to zero. ten is fun. I mean, five to ten is fun. I mean, right, right. now, I got GM, I got Disney, I got Ford. I mean, I got some fun ones, right? But at the end of the day, that's $3,500 in a broker's account. It's just for fun, right? It's, it's, it's not anything. It's, you're lucky if that's 5% of my net worth, if that, right? So, so what would you say to someone like Jimmy who has 100% of his portfolio in stocks? Sell it. Sell it. Because you have $100,000 in stocks if somebody's willing to pay $100,000 for those stocks. You can also have $20,000 in stocks if somebody's willing to pay $20,000 for those stocks. I think diversification- The nature of market dynamics. Yeah, but we're greedy, Bill. We're, humans are greedy. Yeah, greed, human greed. If I was Jimmy right now, I'd be pulling $50,000 of that out. I would be buying myself a house, whether I was gonna live in it or rent it out because I don't know where the stock market's going to go. I assume up. If I'm betting, I'm betting up, right? I'm always betting. But the thing is, at the end of the day, I can't say yes or no, right? I can't tell you. I, it could end down. We could somehow manage to hit a 15% drop by the end of the year. I don't know. Well, you don't know. Right? Delta variant, Delta variant, you know, like, I don't know what's going to happen. You don't. I don't and know. the thing is, I think the best thing you can do is diversify your assets into multiple buckets. Now, I understand that you're in the philosophy of you want to be rich young if you're going to be rich. But at the end of the day, it's true. you have a substantial amount of money in stocks. A substantial amount of money. And it's important to consider that there are other asset classes that are affected differently by bear markets, by recessions, by other periods of time. Will you be okay either way? Probably because most 25 year olds don't have $100,000 in stock. But could you be better off? 
Probably. Well, agreed. But at the same time, I won't be doing that. So we'll see where it all ends up. Anyway, Bill, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you about the logistics business, um, as well as your opinions on markets, whether it's stocks, real estate, collectibles, just your, your way of uh, portfolio allocation, so different than what I even consider doing. Um, I really liked your perspective and I'm so happy to finally have you on the show and I hope you have a great 4th of July weekend. That's all I can say. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on and be sure to uh, you know forward any hate mail my way. It'll be great. <laughs> Bill, you're an absolute pleasure. Always yeah. great talking to you. Like Jimmy was saying, the perspective is great. We have so many people on the show that are just so into trading and so bullish on it. To hear a different perspective is a nice change of pace. So with that, Bill, thank you for coming on. You're the man. Say goodbye, Bill, or no? All right, I'll, I'll just send you. Bye.